Good morning. So this morning we're going to continue in our fall sermon series by looking at the Beatitudes. Uh, the Beatitudes are a collection of sayings by Jesus. There are two collections of Beatitudes, one in the Gospel of Matthew and one in the Gospel of Luke. And so they are called the Beatitudes, and you might be familiar with them because of the formula that each of the sayings that Jesus offers start with a blessing. For example, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now these blessings, these sayings, don't contain all of God's words or laws for us, but they are a group of sayings that disciples, those seeking to follow Jesus, can remember that we can hold on to, that set a mark or a path, set a way of being for us to consider. And I want us to think about that way of being, and especially as in light of, we can think of Scripture, how it tells us that when we hear God's Word, it's like a mirror. It's like a mirror. It holds up our image before us. Now we know in our culture, in our setting, the, the power of images. Everywhere we go, in all the parts of our day, if, if it was, it's possible, right, that they could be recorded or images could be taken, we could see ourselves in either a positive light or an, an image that we don't like of ourselves. But Scripture tells us that when we hear Jesus speak or we hear God's Word, it's like an, a mirror being held up before us. And it can be challenging for us, especially when that mirror reveals weaknesses or areas of brokenness that we want to turn away. The Scripture tells us that wisdom is looking in that mirror and, and not turning away or forgetting, but wisdom is a willingness to look and to consider and to remember and Jesus is setting these words before us like a mirror as a chance for us to examine our heart and our life, to confess and to repent, to consider the way in which we see our life and build our life. It's a possibility of walking in faith in new ways. And we often learn, we often see best in, in contrast. In contrast, so we'll contrast the Beatitudes over the next few weeks between the Beatitudes and the list of traditional vices. Pride, greed, vainglory, envy, wrath, sloth, lust, gluttony. We'll set a contrast, and this morning we'll do a contrast between the poor in spirit and pride. And hopefully by doing that contrast, we'll better be able to see and understand ourselves. For pride and the other list of vices summarize a way of being in the world that's centered in ourselves, centered around grasping or claiming whatever we can get. But the Beatitudes offer a different way, a way of being rooted in and fully expressed in Jesus. In his blessings, Jesus invites us to consider which way we will seek life, which way we think will bring us satisfaction and joy. So let's look at our passage. This, we're going to look at the opening Beatitude from Matthew 5, but then we're also going to read from 1 Corinthians 1. And we'll look at these passages together to help us better understand what Jesus is saying. It's in your order of worship. First from Matthew 5, verse 2 and 3. And Jesus opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And from 1 Corinthians 1, 18-31, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. 
Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is God's word given for our good. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word, and we pray that we need to hear. We confess that we come as those desperate to hear from you. Lord, in our own hearts and in the world around us, we are encouraged to follow our own, our own ways to find pride in ourselves and what we do different than others. But Lord, I ask that you would lead us in a new path, one where we find ourselves and our life in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What we'll do this morning is we'll look at the passage from Matthew, a little bit just to understand what Jesus is saying about pride and humility, and then we'll look at two parts of the Corinthians passage to help us understand better this beatitude of Jesus. So Matthew 5 opens by saying that there are a bunch of crowds around Jesus, and Jesus goes up on a mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples come to him, Jesus opens his mouth and teaches them. And he begins by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are you who know your need for help, your need of grace. This is the, the way that is opposite of pride, of trusting in yourself, of being over or better than others, of having confidence in your resources or in your capability. Now, as we begin to think about this contrast between poor in spirit and pride, the virtues of living in light of Jesus are expressions of character that help us live well as human beings. The vices are the opposite. They are corrosive, eating away at our ability to see, eating away at our ability to appreciate things, eating away at our ability to live in healthy, reconciled relationships. And the scripture speaks about this kind of, these different ways of life working itself out by the image of a tree. It talks about there being a good tree that produces good fruit and bad tree that produces bad fruit. The tree of vice, the, the bad tree, is understood at the center of that tree, at the, its roots, is pride. At its, at its core, what brings forth the fountainhead of other brokenness is pride. Why is that? It, it's because pride is at its heart a, a violation of the first commandment that God gave. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. And we see pride operating in Adam and Eve and our first parents. And when they grasp for autonomy, 
that I will be like God. I will be my own God. And the result coming out of that fall, out of that autonomy, is division and separation in all relationships between Adam and Eve, between them and God, between them and the created world. Pride is a trust in yourself. But I, I want us to hear this. It's, it's more than that. It's not just that I trust in myself. It is a trust that says you are right, that I am good, that in some way I have fulfilled an expectation, I have filled, fulfilled a criteria that has been selected. Think for a moment. There's nothing wrong with affirming your gifts, your abilities, your pursuits. You could say, I am good at my job. I am good at music. I am good at soccer. I am a good cook. We could go on and on. And that's not necessarily pride. But pride comes when affirmation is connected to a judgment, to being right, to evaluating and determining your superiority. I am good at music, which I am not. I am good at music. Therefore, I am valuable. Therefore, I am important. Or to take it a step further, therefore I am better than the one who is not. And the key thing to understand here is that pride can be attached to anything. Not just religion and, and morals or career success. It can tie to anything. There has to simply be a criteria, a point of evaluation, a judgment. You can be proud that you care. You can be proud that you don't care. You can be proud that you go to church. You can be proud that you do not you can be proud that you have a big house, and you can also be proud that you're not materialistic like those other people. Right? But in pride, there's always a judgment. Because I do X, or I don't do Y, I am a good person. I am better than others, at least in this category. In pride, we select the criteria and judge ourselves successful while holding others in disdain. And I know in this room, I know that we have all seen this, and we've all felt it, right? We know this. We have practiced it ourselves, whether internally or externally. We have received that dismissal from others as well. People looking down at us or dismissing us. And we know in our heart that pride does not build or honor relationships. It does not bring forth connection. But yet, if we're honest, pride comes naturally to us. In our search for stability, our search for kind of knowing who we are, a sense of saying, okay, things are going to be all right, pride in that mechanism of a criteria comes naturally to our hearts. And it's in that atmosphere, that condition, that Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And it's significant that this is the first of Jesus' eight blessings that he offers. For if pride is at the center, at the kind of the fountainhead of other vices, Scripture and the church has said that humility, that a poor spirit, is the first and foundational blessing. It's the first step in the way of Jesus being in Jesus' kingdom. For no one can be a follower of Jesus without the spirit that he is describing. So how do we become humble? You know and I know that we don't become humble just by saying, I'll be humble now. Now I'll start being humble. It doesn't come directly in that manner. But humility comes indirectly through experiences in life or through teaching 
experiences or teachings that help us see, see ourselves more clearly, see our need, see our dependence, see God's grace and forgiveness. And I hope that we can better see this morning what Jesus is inviting us to do here is to see, to see our, our need, our pride, our brokenness, so that in a poor spirit, in a poverty, that we might experience his blessing. And we're going to look at the Corinthians passage from the, that first chapter to look at two parts, two things that undercut pride and give rise to humility. Two things that if we see in, in what Paul is saying that I hope will attack our pride and give lifting up, give support to a humble spirit. Those two things are first we'll see the gospel proclamation. The gospel proclamation undercuts pride. And then the gospel impact lifts up humility. So first, the gospel proclamation from the Corinthians passage. The proclamation of the gospel here is described as the word of the cross. You notice that? The word of the cross. And right from the beginning, the passage sets a contrast. There is the word of the cross, and then there is human wisdom. What is this word of the cross? What is this foolishness of God? Well, the word of the cross is the proclamation that Jesus of Nazareth was crucified the Roman power, but was raised to new life by God. And now Jesus is declared the Son of God and exalted as Lord over all, the risen Christ calling each one of us to come to him with faith for new life. That is the word of the cross. And the question is, is this word of the cross folly or is it the power of God? Is it foolishness or is it the very power of salvation? You see, Corinthian, Corinth sorry, was an affluent city. It was a city of intellectual and cultural significance. And to such ears, the word of the cross is foolishness, a stumbling block. In Rome, there was a, there's a graffiti that has been found, a graffiti that's most date from around 200 A.D. It's called Aleximinos, I think it's how you say it, Aleximinos graffiti. Just like people spray you know, graffiti in Chicago these days, I guess there was graffiti way back in Rome. But this has been saved in some plaster, and it's most likely the earliest visual re- representation of Jesus. Like I said, it's estimated from 200 A.D., and it shows a young man named Aleximinos, dressed as a Roman soldier, worshiping a human-like figure affixed to a cross. The figure on the cross is depicted with a human body, but the head of a donkey, an image of foolishness. And under the image is an inscription, Aleximinos worships his God. Aleximinos worships his God. This graffiti was not encouraging to the Christian church or Aleximinos. It was meant to mock. It was a mocking graffiti. How foolish to worship a fool. How foolish to worship a crucified man. You see, the cross was the place of rejection and torture at the hands of human powers. A tool of public torture. The cross was a terrible means of death. And it was reserved for the low and despised those who didn't have enough means or connections to get themselves off of that treatment. And the cross declared 
It declared by its symbol and by its nature that this one hanging here is not fit to live. This one's not even really human. For the Romans had a saying about the cross that it was a condemnation of death fit for a beast. Yet Paul is saying this foolishness, this foolishness, this one hanging on the cross is the power of God for salvation. In this very event, God has triumphed over the broken and corrupt powers of the world. In Jesus, God overturns the kingdom of the world to set up a new kingdom, one not based in human strength, but based in grace and welcome for the weak and for the foolish. Maybe you notice in our passage that Paul quotes from the Old Testament. He quotes from Isaiah chapter 29, explaining that God pronounces I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Throughout Scripture, we heard it also in the passage that Rita read, that God sees and lifts up the humble, the poor in spirit, and that part of God's love for us is His willingness and His consistent confronting of human pride and human assumptions. See, the cross proclaims that human wisdom is insufficient. Both religious people and secular or sophisticated people find the cross to be offensive. That's what Paul says, that for the Jew and for the Greek, for those categories of his culture, they were all offended. Why? It's because this shameful and shocking and powerless death reveals the deepest truth about who God is, And it reveals the deepest truth about who we are. The cross says to the religious person, you are not righteous. You need forgiveness. You need more than a teacher who will explain the law and the rules to you. You need a redeemer. One who will go to the very depths for you. See, the cross proclaims that God has acted in Christ to die for the ungodly. Christ died not for those who are good, but sinners. And the cross says to the secular or sophisticated person, evil is not just out there, but it's in you. Hear that. Evil is not just part of those who don't understand or don't see things rightly, but it's inside of you. And that life and peace will not be fully secured by your wisdom or power, that all your education, all your money, all your privilege will not ultimately remove the problems and brokenness in you. This is what the cross proclaims. And that's what Paul picks up by saying, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where are the debaters of this age? Where are the ones who are right? Where are the ones who know how to make an argument, who can stand on their own two feet, who can be intelligent and say, this is who I am? Look, the foolishness of God is wiser than your wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than your strength. And the word here, weakness, here is literally the weak thing of God, the weak thing of God, which is the cross. The cross is greater than you, your sin, your need, or your best attempts. See, the gospel is outside of the categories of human wisdom. It's not the best that the world has to offer, not the best parts all brought together. 
but rather it is an announcement of God's powerful action in the face of human sin and human evil and human need. We have to remind ourselves all the time that without the cross, without Jesus' action in this manner, we are simply left with human capacity and human religion. But the story of the cross tells something very different than the power of the world. The wisdom of the cross insists on Jesus, the Son of God, taking human lowliness and human ungodliness on himself. And the poor in spirit, blessed are the poor in spirit, the poor in spirit are those who know that they need such action for themselves. They need God to act in that way for them. See, Jesus is putting himself on the side of the wretched, the overlooked, the despised, and forgotten. Jesus is not saying to you and I, look, you're lucky when you have a hard time. Hey, it's good news when you go through difficulty. He's not saying that it's good that we struggle, but rather he's saying that when we encounter and face the realities of our powerlessness, when we encounter in our hearts our own sin or our brokenness or our failure to be who we long to be, He's saying, here's an opportunity for you to hear that I've come for you. And my kingdom belongs especially to you in your groaning and in your poverty. The moments of suffering and poverty, the struggles of life can be windows to us, windows that allow us to see beyond the illusions of power and control, to see, to see our need and to see God's gracious movement towards us. For no one can be a follower of Jesus in the spirit of pride. We have to come with an open heart and our poverty needing his actions for us. So the gospel proclamation challenges our pride and it hopefully lifts up humility within us, but there's also the second part for us to see, the gospel impact, I'll call it. What does the gospel do? See, it's a foolishness to the world, but for us, who are being saved, it is the power of God. Paul continues to undercut pride and give rise to humility by speaking of the gospel's impact. And and one way for us to think about this is that in the gospel, God breaks the world's evaluation. You remember, pride requires some kind of criteria, some kind of process of judgment. And the cross, the gospel, breaks that criteria. Look, look, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Paul makes a contrast between the somebodies and the nobodies. The somebodies and the nobodies. And you see what he's saying to the church? According to the worldly standards, according to the criteria that's at work, not many of you were wise. Not many were powerful. Not many of you were of noble or significant birth. But God chose you. Not many of you were wise powerful, of significance, but God chose you and in doing so he broke apart. He undid the criteria and proud judgments that the world will put upon you. God chose those that the world seemed foolish 
the world deemed foolish, weak, low, and despised those that are not. Now we need to step back and affirm that in the Scriptures we are told that every human being, everyone, bears the image of God, and that one does not have more or less dignity because of who he or she knows or connections or whether you're known or looked up to. That's not what makes you a somebody. God gives his value and dignity to all. But yet, even though that truth exists in the Scriptures, our culture and even our own hearts are quick to divide us into somebodies and nobodies. Like I said, Corinth was a proud city, and it valued greatly being somebody, being accepted, being among the elite, being among the world class. Then, as now, there were obvious routes to move towards fame and reputation, move out of the nobody category into somebody who was significant. There was political power. There was royal or noble birth. There was being a famous artist or some kind of contribution to society. There was having important business or, of course, lots of money. The reality is, in that city in particular, the Corinth paid special attention to such people, those who could speak well, those who were deemed strong or significant or connected or powerful. And such evaluations between those who matter and those who do not always are part of pride. Now to bring it from Corinth to us, we know that. Pride always brings evaluation based on criteria that we come up with what the world puts on us. In Greek mythology, there are all sorts of interesting gods that were written about. One of the ones that I think is really interesting is a god named Nemesis. My son's soccer shoes are called Nemesis, which I think you know, it sounds pretty awesome when you know who Nemesis is in the Greek mythology. It is the goddess. She is the goddess who enacts retribution against those who succumb to pride or arrogance. Nemesis brings retribution against those who are arrogant. But Nemesis has another name in Greek mythology, another name which is inescapable. Inescapable. I think that's fascinating. That in the Greek culture, even in that world, apart from the Christian and Jewish scriptures, there's a knowledge that pride divides and hurts. Pride trusts in yourself, trusts in your own righteousness. It always leads to a certain outcome. It is inescapable. It leads to treating others with contempt or others treating you with contempt. It is always the enemy of connection and love. For what pride does is it leaves us with our own kingdom. Or it leaves us seeking to find a place in the kingdom of the world around us. And Paul highlights such divisions, the strong and the weak, the noble birth and the low, the wise and the fool, the respected and the despised. According to worldly standards, you were not much, you were not significant, but God chose you. But God, God acted on your behalf. God saw you and broke apart the evaluation the world put upon you and said that you are mine and acted with power and love in the cross for you. You were nobodies, but God made you somebody in Christ. Of, of course, not the somebody category of the world with power or wealth. Such things pass away, but made you somebody in Christ. 
chosen, called, justified. You have the status of Jesus himself given to you. When you receive it in faith, then Christ, you are righteous, forgiven and justified, sanctified, set apart as God's people, that you are gathered into his kingdom. Not left just with your own. Not left to find scraps in the kingdom of this world. So what is our right response? Our passage concludes, this passage from Corinth concludes by saying it is boasting. Boasting, but not in ourselves, but in the Lord. I want to close by this, thinking about this response that to be human is to boast. To be human is to boast. We all need something that we boast in, some place, someone that we give ourselves to. Boasting here means placing our confidence in, our identity, what, picking what matters to us. And it's interesting here that Scripture does not say the way to the life, the poverty of spirit, is that you stop boasting. Rather, what it says is that you boast in the right thing. Pride is selecting something to boast in that allows you to think highly of yourself over other people. The poverty of spirit is recognizing that I cannot boast in myself. That the good in my life comes from a good God and that I'm a sinner dependent upon God's grace for me. And therefore, let me boast, boast in the Lord. The passage ends with a quote from Jeremiah 9 and the full reading says this, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his strength. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, says the Lord, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness. Amen. Let us boast in the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for who you are. And Lord, we confess that we, are, that we often give ourselves to things like money and strength, ways that we can lift ourselves up in the moment. Lord, help us turn away from such things, from false loves and false hopes to find rest in you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.